Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this. It is Pilot Episodes, the intermittent podcast for the aviation enthusiast. And always, I'm joined by my three... Hmm, Sky Warriors, maybe? Let's go with that. First of all, I'm going to introduce the guy who likes to provide max entertainment to the crowd... It's Porky. How are you, mate? <laughs> I'm good. I'm always quite nervous of your intros, but I'll, I'll go with that one. That's good, yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? Because I'm guessing you know, it's getting a tiny bit warmer, a tiny bit firmer. Are you, uh, are you about to go out flying or anything? It's getting closer. Weeks away, I would say. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Does that count? It does. Have you got the first flight in the diary? In the diary? Yeah, I think it'd be middle, mid, mid-April. Yeah. Yes, and uh, since I saw you last time, have you have you been flying? That's the important part. Uh, no, unless you count me sitting with my uh, drone. No, I do not count drone flying. I do not count drone flying. I do now. It's the only one. It's the only stuff I get. <laughs> moving, uh, moving swiftly on. The, the man that likes to cause max pain to his poor students. It's Dunk. How are you, Dunk? I'm all right. Thanks, JB. But you're absolutely right. The more pain, the better. Hey, uh, but I would say that we aren't we aging aviators rather than what did you call us? Something warriors. Sky warriors is the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably aging aviators. I feel like an aging aviator anyway. Sky supervisor for you now, Dunk. I think we need to take Dunk out for a drink. Yeah. Can I have a cuddle, please? <laughs> a drink and a cuddle. Goodness, goodness me, Dunk. Let's, let's, uh, let's up the energy a bit for the rest of the podcast, OK? Um, right. how, how, is, how has the Texan been hang over on, the last few weeks? Getting flapjacks. I'm gonna, hang on, I'm phoning his wife. Here's me, brain the size <laughs> of a plant. hypoglycemic. <laughs> how has flying the Texan been over, over the last few weeks, Dunk? Uh, well, over the last few weeks, fairly non-existent, I'm afraid. The, oh, the Anglesey no. weather has been a little bit painful. It's uh, It's been a bit naughty. It's been playing up. And um, so I flew over there uh, yesterday and last week. Uh, clearly, the wind last week was, was, it was terrible, so we didn't get anything done. Uh, I then flew home. They they flew on Friday, but this week again, the, the weather's been awful. So um, uh, we not not got very much done at all. I'm afraid. Oh dear. Well, we'll come back to that later because I am quite intrigued about what's going on. Uh, mm. And last but not least, the guy who most certainly would have signed a safety certificate for the Max Eight. It's Godders. <laughs> I'm not sure what to say about that. Um, uh, hello. I, I I've been close to an aeroplane a couple of times in the last uh, couple of weeks. 
Um, in fact, one of them with Mason um, under, I'm going to call it your Concord, JB, because that's the one that you saw land at, uh, at Filton. Oh, is that but, the same um, one, is it? At the John Egging dinner, which was brilliant. Wow. Was brilliant. Yeah, that thing doesn't age. No, not at all. And, Are you uh, talking about Mason? Yes. <laughs> We're not talking about you, Parky. <laughs> I beg to disagree. But... <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, and it, it's amazing when you stood underneath one of those, because when you land at Heathrow and you can see that Concorde out the window, it looks tiny. When you're actually in a hangar with it, it's pretty big. And, and uh, the engines, particularly the Olympus engines, I just thought, you know, when you're the, the nacelles under the wings there, that as God has said, it looks tiny normally, but when you're standing under those things... No wonder it can go so fast. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And it's even more amazing when you think about how they design aircraft now uh, you know, and all the computer-aided design and everything else and all the modelling that goes goes into it. They did that with rulers and pencils. Yeah, hey, did you watch the programme about it? Uh, I've watched many programmes about it. Which yeah. one was this? Well, it was the one where they were talking about the you know, the British and the French test pilots. They're talking about the design of the wind tunnels and the, or the politics of it. Yeah. Uh, well, is, it, is it the one where Heseltine goes around the world in it, trying to flog it, and it, you know gets a few orders, but I'm, eventually they all fold and it turns into a bit of a mare? And then well, initially, it. from what the program said, it, it said that the the Americans they had loads of American airlines had had ordered it, so Pan Am and uh, uh, all of the uh, TWA with it. Right. I mean, all the big ones ordered it, but then it just because. It was the French. The French said, uh, no, because it was supposed to be lightweight, go fast, you know, it's fairly cheap. But they then, they said, no, 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 this is luxury. We want luxury in here. So the cost, you know, exponentially increased and uh, and the, the orders dropped off. So my understanding was the reason it didn't get orders, I, I like that story, but it's far more pragmatic, which is, Supersonic flights are banned over the United States after they did some tests over Oklahoma City. It was broke and residents complained. It was called Operation something or other. And that's why they had to cancel, because they thought, well, we can get this thing. We can go supersonic. Yeah, you might be right. I, I mean, I, I, who knows? I'm not, uh, not the expert. It's just what it said on the programme. Oh, right. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I, I think JB is right. I think it was. It was, the, it was the noise. And then, you know, when it went into... I saw the bit I saw when it went into, you know, JFK or somewhere in America, it was all, there were sort of placards, it was too noisy, it was, that when they went around the world, it had slightly different engines, and it was really smoky, and again, it was that sort of time of pollution, it just came at the wrong time, you know, fuel costs going up, and uh, it's such a tragedy, it, you know, never got the orders that it was destined to have. We have told that story before, haven't we, about the talking of supersonic flight over America, Um Clearly, out in the in the red flag ranges, out in Nellis, you can go supersonic. And it was a guy in an F3, and I can't remember who it is. I probably won't say, uh, just in case I implicate, uh, impl- implicate someone. But um, they'd gone, they were at 250 feet, supersonic, chasing someone down in an F3. Um, and the range is normally completely clear, but that happened to be one of these nice silver Winnebago's in there. And oh, as yeah. he went over the top, it folded into an Oxo cube <laughs> with the, uh, the shockwave. Really? And, uh, fortunately, the uh, the inhabitants weren't in it at the time, but made quite a large claim to um, the uh, the US government. Goodness me! Well, here's a little bit of trivia for you. Anyone know what the fastest subsonic airliner is? 
wasn't the VC10? VC10, yeah. Oh, interesting. VC10. Haven't we done this before? Am I having deja vu? Mm. Goddess, you've definitely told that story, but it's well worth telling again. And I'm sure we've done this. I I don't think we have. That's the first time that I've heard that story. Uh, Well, the the fastest subsonic airliner, I think, is the Convair 990A. Ooh. We've done that before Ooh. as well. Did we do this off air? Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Absolutely going mad. Right, we're going to have to stop this and go and give Duncan a couple. <laughs> Can I have another couple? Anyway, back to the Concorde. You know, yes. one of the most so two interesting things for me on it. One, it's got a tailwheel. Oh yes, yes. I didn't know that before. Two. I've never seen many bleeding dials in the cockpit. Oh my goodness. I don't know what that. I think they must have built most of them in for the flight engineer to just keep him busy across the Atlantic. Wow! So did you did you get to have a quick look at it? Did you tell what these unique dials were? Or were they literally completely alien? Well, not literally, of course. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> no, uh, no. I did have a good old, a good old look. Took, took a couple of photos, and um, there's a lot of fuel system stuff, hydraulic system stuff. So, what was the event then? Why were you actually there? It was the John Egging Trust dinner. Um, who was John Egging? So we mentioned this before. John Egging was the Red Arrow who uh, was killed in a crash oh. at Earth Airport uh, in 2011. And um, uh, and his, uh, his wife, Dr. Emma Egging, um, after his death, set up this, um, uh, I was about to say charity, but it's a, a trust that um, was... Uh, was to look after um, uh, and help disadvantaged or kids who haven't come out of their shell in in schools in around Lincolnshire. It started. I tweeted the other day. I mean, Dunk is actually um, uh, one of the trustees. He is. But uh, yeah, uh, and and uh, you know, has done a huge amount for it. But um, when they started in two thousand in eleven, they uh, two thousand twelve, they helped a hundred kids. Last year, they helped 10,000 kids. You know, That's amazing. At, at every, every time they have one of these, it's a fundraising dinner. Every time they have one of these dinners, they have a couple of these kids who stand up. You know, there's 300 people in there. All of us know what it's like speaking to a crowd that big. You know, it's pretty nerve-wracking. At these kids who talk about their stories of, of not being able to stand up, not speaking to, a, 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 being able to speak to an adult. And because of everything they do with the uh, the John Egging Trust. Um, you know, they come out of their shells, they get jobs, and, and, you know, it's just, it's flipping brilliant listening to the stories. So it's, it's just been a fantastic thing that's come out of a tragedy. What a worthwhile, and more importantly, what, what, a, what a practical cause. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's, um, and it's now national, you know, it's, uh, it's expanding all the time. It's got a huge amount of support both in the service and outside as well, which is uh, which is great. Um, so yeah, it's fantastic to uh, to be able to support it. Um, and uh, I was on the squadron with John um, briefly on the uh, on the Harrow OCU before he went to the to the Reds. And then, uh, as God has said, there was the tragedy in two thousand and eleven. But um, but uh, what a great thing to 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 come out of that very sad event. Interesting. Right. Well, let's move this on because we have got a po- we've got a podcast to do, and I thought we'd be talking today about workups, which doesn't sound like something that everyone you know talk, uh, talk, talks about frequently or particularly glamorous, but it is important. And I actually had no idea exactly how important it all is. In fact, let's start with this. When I say workup, what does that instantly mean to mean to you guys? Is it many things? Is it one thing? What are we talking about? 
it's many things to me. You know, you can have a combat-ready workup. So when you arrive off a conversion unit onto your frontline airplane, you have a workup to get you to a point where you can, you know, uh, it says does what it says on the tin. You're, you're combat-ready. That you can go off and and fly as part of a two-ship or a four-ship or or whatever it happens to be, or you can work up to a a, a particular. Um, uh, exercise like red flag you know you'd have a red flag workup where you'd practice all the skills that you need on that or it could be for a uh, another uh, qualification on the squadron like a two ship lead a four ship lead um an instructor you know all those sorts of things so it, uh, you know there's a ton of stuff we can talk about That's what about you boys just, any other stuff what have i missed well it's all encompassing isn't it it doesn't matter what it is from you know um the mundane such as instrument rating examiner you have to do a workup to get to that point and uh, i'm on a workup at the moment to 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 actually start doing that on texan for instance and we're working up to to being um uh, competent to instruct on that aeroplane so everything is uh, is a, is about a workup but I, I think to go back from the month those mundane things to what goddess was talking about so the red flag workup for instance it does take um a huge amount of uh, of practice and you have to have a certain amount of experience to start with to start working down to the heights that they they fly and now i don't know if they still fly you'd probably be able to tell me goddess because it's been a long time since i've been but flying at 100 feet at uh well <laughs> slow speed in the harrier before you all say it but uh at 420 knots 60, but, 60 uh, knots yeah exactly yeah but uh flying at 100 feet is uh is is quite a skill so it does take a work up well in this case well we would call it a work down wouldn't we so you'd work down to to those kind of heights uh. um so, so yeah that, that those kind of things are, are very much are, are really interesting quick question to parky then parky what yeah, so, I mean, the, the best example, I think, just uh, thinking out loud, was the back in sort of 93, the F3, we did the deny flight in uh, Bosnia. So we were essentially just stopping the helicopters flying so that they couldn't do their their bits out there. And helicopter fill as an air defender was something you didn't do a great deal of. You know, you tended to do intercepts against other aircraft, airliners, or combat against, you know, uh, aircraft that were shooting back at you. So it was a helicopter fill. So, you know, very quickly a workup was coupled together, which was, I don't know, probably three or four sorties against, I think we did them against some sort of links at the time. Um, and, you know, we were learning how to try and, you know, radars is a bit difficult to pick up helicopters, but, uh, you know, so the NAVs were working on that technique, doing various bits and bobs to the radar to change the, uh, the pickup. They could find the thing. And then obviously intercepting helicopters is just a different thing because the thing can stop and do all sorts of stuff. And uh, it was great fun. But, you know, that was just something we needed to do before we then went out to Boz and, and intercepted you know, um, the, the hips and everything that was out there for, you know, in the uh, in the mountains. It was, you know, it was a, a strange one. And that was just, yeah, bespoke work up that was done. But it, they cover all sorts of, from, you know, any the Dutch we used to do every every year. We went out and did uh, 100 foot. Did you do 100 foot in the F-16, Goddess? I don't know if the Americans were into that as much. No, we did. Uh, I think it was down to 200 feet, I think. But I only ever um, did that once or twice when I was out there. In fact, I lost a bomb on one of them. Let's <laughs> <laughs> care Yeah, I know. Like where over a housing estate, or you know, <laughs> I know I was waiting for the comeback on that. No, it was one of these things. It was the orphanage, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it was. Uh, I just had uh, practice weapons on, so uh, we don't actually use them in the uh, in the RF anymore. But um, 
uh, you can carry a bomb carrier. In, in the RAF, it was called a CBLS, a carrier bomb light store. I can't remember what it was called in a uh, in, on the F-16, but you used to carry these little, um, I think they were, oh, I can't even remember the weight of them. I don't know, call it 20-pound little bombs um, with essentially smoke <laughs> grenades in the front. So when you drop them on a, uh, on a range, the guy... <laughs> Hang on, uh, I've just Dunk appeared to have lost it. <laughs> Why is Dunk gone. laughing? It's gone. Parky, what, what are you doing, mate? All I can just see is Parky doing this. Oh. Hurting my leg. <laughs> what wow, are this you is a, doing? A very visual joke for an audio product, this, boys. You'll have to cut that out. <laughs> anyway. Smoke bombs, so, please. Yeah, so you've got these essentially little smoke bombs that come off your uh, come off your aeroplane, um, and the guy on the range can then mark where you've uh, where you've hit or missed the uh, the target. So I took off with a bunch of these on and went off to um, uh, and actually the range portion of this was cancelled. When I landed, they went, um, "Where'd you drop the bomb, sir?" I went, "I didn't." They said, "Well, uh, you've got one I'm missing." I went, uh, "Really?" I went, yeah, there's one, and one had fallen off. And, you know, the tape showed I hadn't ever pushed any buttons or <laughs> done anything that I needed to do to release one of these things, but it's fallen girl. off in the tape. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, honest girl. I never press nothing. So it, it's fallen no, no, no. off in the did, desert. Did you Wait, find you it? Bit, you? Yes. What, you I was did? the first one to look at the tape. Wait, 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 wait. Did, did you find the bomb? Uh, no, no, they, they never did. So does it look like a bomb? It, what does it look like, boys? It looks like a sort of little mortar um, a bomb type thing, doesn't it? If you've ever seen one of those. Yeah, yeah. blue in yeah. colour. And maybe about, what's that, about a foot long? But you would have a shock if it fell in your back garden, for instance, or in your yeah, cattle right. ranch. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it, it would hurt. But fortunately, all of the low-level routes out in um, out in Arizona were out over the desert. So, um, it, you know, they were purposely chosen for that sort of reason. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, so there you go. there's a story, though, of, uh, I mean, j- just talking how uh, how much of a shock it would give you of what they were doing. So off the back of the aircraft carrier, um, they would tow a thing called a splash target. So they'd stick it on a string and it would be out, I don't know, two, 300 metres behind the the boat. And it would uh, it would create create like a big uh, rooster tail, like a big wave, and you would use that to do bombing practice on when you were out at sea. And so, um, and they called it the splash target. But um, a sea harrier, uh, not a proper harrier, a sea harrier, um, came down while they're doing this. And I don't know how they mistook it, but anyway, he he hit the deck. So <gasps> the bomb hit the deck of the aircraft carrier. Did um, he go through it? Goodness well, me! I think I think it did, but it also, as as far as I remember, it took someone's hand off. So the, yeah, the, it's just a flashbang. Is it's it's not it's not a, a big charge, but even so, I, th- I think it, you know, it severely injured this this guy on the deck. That's horrific. Mm. Oh my word! I, I, I'm sure we, we we have spoken about this. Has anyone read the instant reports from USS Forrestal? Is it Forrester or Forrestal? Forrestal. Forrestal. Yeah, the one where the weapon went off and essentially sunk the ship. Uh, well, close enough. But, I mean, it, it just shows it, it's like tiny procedural errors and just something horrific will happen. 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's one of the things I deal with in my current job is clearances of weapons onto the carrier, for example. Um, and so, uh, actually, it was really interesting when I went to a dinner down at HMS Victory. You can, If you've ever had a tour of HMS Victory, which is just amazing, down in the magazine, you can see, I think it's copper coated. And they talk about the fact that the, you know, the young boys, they just send down there to go and get the gunpowder where all the gunpowder was stored. You know, they weren't, they weren't allowed shoes on. There was no metal allowed anywhere near them. So, you know, even then there were all these precautions wow. to make sure, because it, it, essentially in that magazine, you've just got, a, you know, if one, if one part of that went up, the whole ship was going to go up. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with, with our current, um, current platforms and it's the same with a bomb hanging off the wing of a uh, of a typhoon or a harrier or, or whatever so each weapon hanging on a wing has a bunch of safety brakes so there'll be a switch in the cockpit to even allow um the um voltage to the weapon there'll be once the weapon is dropped there's an electrical um arming of the weapon and there's also a mechanical arming of the weapon where a lanyard will get pulled um when it drops off and that final um, you know, it's like pulling the pin on a grenade. Mm. That's what arms the weapon, so that it, it so that it arms well away from the aeroplane. Because you imagine if it came off and went bang, then you've just lost the aeroplane. Yeah. So, just for people who don't know this, it, is that when you see an aircraft on the ground and it's got loads of what looks like ribbons everywhere? It, are those the mechanical arm, uh, arming devices? Or is that something else? So, when you do see a lot of, uh, of ribbons on uh, on pins and on pylons then th those are safety features for the ground once they're out and then you go flying there are still the safety features in the uh, oh, in the airplane so you still you still, you've still got a couple of switch selections to actually then you know loose something off the airplane whether it's a missile or a uh, or a bomb mm. um and you know all of these have to be cleared before for example you can go and land aboard a a carrier with the weapons on because you know, you don't want interference from the radars on the ship causing um, uh, stray voltage and, you know, loosing a missile off or any of these sorts of things. So it's hellish complicated. Goodness me, yes, it sounds it. Um, tell me then, let's talk about uh, working up towards a red flag, because that's really, in really interesting to me. Um, first of all, who is responsible for it? So is it, you know, people within the squadron? Is it, the, you know, uh, the station? Who, who actually gets all the lads re uh, ready? And also... How on earth do you know what you're getting ready for? I've been talking too much. Parky, go. Go with red flag dits. Well, just that it would be, it's just such an advanced flying exercise that you're on. It's more than the, probably the boys on the squadron would be doing day to day. So, you know, there's just more aircraft involved. It's bigger missions. It's more complicated planning. And if you went in cold to, you know, let's just say the boys have been doing four ship bombing stuff or the the air defenders have just been doing pairs work or intercepts and suddenly you know it's a sort of 20 v 30 you'd just be a sort of rabbit in the headlights because that it, it, that's just fairly a level so you know a month or so prior the boys will just be working up the discipline so that they're just kind of upping their game and you know the exercise itself is still a learning thing but you know you you're giving yourself a fighting chance at being able to cope so Okay, how would you prepare for a 20 on 30? Bearing in mind, that's probably half the strength of the, of the Royal Air Force right now. Well, actually, flags are, are considerably bigger than that most of the time. You know, you're talking sort of 50-odd blue, 50-odd red uh, when you go up. The, half of the skill when you start is knowing how to, exactly as Parky said, how to plan it, um, you know, what 
the tasking orders you get look like? How does that then translate to a plan? What does that mean? You know, because you can imagine if there's, call it 30 different formations that you're flying with, the electronic plan that comes out initially, you've got to be able to understand that and see which formations are who and what tanker they're tied to and all these sorts of things. And then um, you have to you, you get used to a way of uh, of doing a brief with a bunch of other people, only your own little formation, but a bunch of other people, so you understand what the safety plans are, what the um, you know the escape routes are, what the weather factors are, and then Some once of the you've things even... actually is that the taxi plan. If you've got yeah. a, uh, if you've got a, you know a hundred aircraft taking part. And, you know, a load of them are in one particular base, which often these exercises are, you know, just from one particular base, then getting them all out and getting them all back in again in the right order so that it all flows. Just the taxi plan is a really complicated part of the mission. That's a really, really interesting detail, that. Yeah, and, and exactly as Dunk said, the hardest part of the entire mission is actually in getting out and then getting back at the end. Because you imagine people are low on fuel right at the end, but you're trying to recover 100 aircraft, and if the weather's bad, they're doing instrument approaches. Um, you know, it can get pretty hairy. Uh, for the first – so even when you've worked up on a squadron, you have a red flag, you can guarantee for that first week, you know, you normally do a sort of two- to three-week stint. For that first week, all of the debrief points are not tactical. They're domestic. They're getting in and out of the airfield. <laughs> wow wow um so when you when you are preparing for this thing how much information do you get to know about before you go i mean do you know what missions you're flying, when you're flying the sort of things that you'll be doing the equipment you need to train on or do you just say right um yeah well we'll just practice everything. is it like pre- preparing for an exam yeah, yeah, I think I mean, it is in a way. It's um, because there's all sorts of different aspects to it as well. So it's kind of a tactical workup, but, you know, in terms of so for, you know, the mud movers down, um, you know, uh, down low, um, there's also tactical surface, there's surface to air missiles there that you have to av- uh, avoid as well. It's not just, you know, enemy fighters and stuff that are looking for you. You're simulating going into enemy territory with uh, enemy surface to air missiles. So it's the tactics on those as well so you do have to do your homework you have a bunch of briefs about what these systems can do how best to avoid them tactics that you're going to use so and those are um you know we have uh, institutions that uh, are solely there looking at tactics and all uh, aspects of, uh, of of aviation and so it's about doing that homework um finding out how you're going to do it and then actually um not not only just going and putting it into practice and then seeing afterwards and proving to yourself that actually you can take your aircraft up against these systems and defeat them. Um, so it gives you confidence as well that you can, you know, go into uh, into battle and you're not just going to be cannon fodder. You actually can go and do your job. So there's lots of different elements to it. When you say institutions looking at these things, who are these institutions? Well, we have a, um, you know, we've got the Air Warfare Centre that uh, is a a big... Have you ever worked there, Gos? No. So uh, we've got um, two air warfare centres within the uh, within the Royal Air Force, and uh, and are you know they're just filled with tactically minded individuals from all, as I say, all aspects of aviation who purely continue to look at developing um, potential um, weapons. Uh, that would be uh, that would be employed against us and developing That's tactics amazing. to defeat them. So, 
which other air forces do you know have an equivalent of air warfare sensor? D- d- does everyone do it? Do do we? Um... Yeah, pretty pretty much. I bet. I think yeah, we went. Did... Um, we went over Pakistan um, last year, uh, and uh, they just built a whole new. Um, system that they wanted to try and uh, encourage other nations to come and uh, and use with uh, the, the system that could track all the aircraft and all the, the potential weapons drops that they'd be doing. So yeah, everyone's developing these kind of systems because, of course, if you don't, then you just get left behind and you'll lose. <laughs> Which is fascinating, isn't it? Because, of course, Pakistan has got into a little bit of a sticky situation of late with, uh, the, with the Indian Air Force. Or was it vice versa? I don't even remember. Well, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, but, it, but it's, um, you know, going back to your point about the, uh, you know, do you know what you're going to do? You've got a rough idea. So if you, so there'll always be a, a lead planner assigned on the squadron, a squadron leader, and they'll go out to planning conferences. So when you go out to your first planning conference out in the States, it'll be at Nellis. They'll tell you who the participants are. So it might be, um, number one, we had Israelis, uh, Dutch, um, Australians, uh, you know, a bunch of Brits, you know, so it's it, it's full multinational. And then within those planning conferences, they work out, right, have we got enough ramp space for all the airplanes that you want to bring? How much are you going to bring along? Um, and then from there, they get into the detail and towards the final planning conferences of this is what the missions or these are what the missions are going to look like over a sort of two or a three week period. And each nation if you like picks up either the overall lead so you're the one leading a hundred ship or whatever it happens to be or you lead an element of it because you might have a offensive counter air defensive counter air suppression of enemy air defenses uh, helicopters multis and for each one of those packages yeah. there'll be a mission commander a submission commander and so you volunteer for these you go back home and you allocate it to someone and so that that individual knows that on week two of you know uh, on day three of week two of red flag they'll be leading the whole thing which means you know you start thinking about that as soon as someone tells you that and you get a cold sweat on um, and it's probably worth adding that that person, JB, that wouldn't just be one of the junior boys on the squadron. That that's he's bound to be a weapons instructor. So as part of the weapons course, you know, you, you're taught the tactics. So he's he's pretty much the lead tactician, if you like, on the squadron. He knows all about the weapon delivery of it. And as part of the the weapons course, he will have done the sort of the final phase. It's not red flag, but it's what we call big mission. So it would be quite a few aircraft and leading and integrating with other uh, aircraft and sort of getting a feel for it. Uh, is it, is it also maybe worth mentioning God is about um, TLP and the tactical leadership program. And that sort of, you know, is another way of, uh, of getting boys into just integrating with other aircraft and, and, you know, having to brief and, and fly, you know, fairly big missions on that, that exercise as well. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I went and did that in, um, uh, Florent it used to be up in Belgium, uh, and now it's moved down to is it Torrejon in Spain? Yeah, in Spain isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and JB, that's it's essentially a European forces thing um, that is a small version of Red Flag. And it's exactly as Parky said. You actually you take less experienced guys. And you just give them a, a a bit of a schooling in exactly what we've just said, you know. So starting off with smaller packages, nice. um, sort of four, eight, sixteen ships. Um, it's actually quite a lot harder. I, you know, I found it a lot harder. Uh, we were just doing the red air aspect actually, but, but I found it a lot harder over in Europe because 
it's not like red flag where you just take off and fly immediately into a range. Um, when we were flying from Belgium, we'd fly back into the UK, for example. So you're crossing airways, you're having to uh, keep enough fuel to get back and follow our traffic instructions, you know, these sorts of things. And you've got the language barrier yeah, of, a, uh, of various other nations. That's a point. Where on earth do Belgium train? It's not like they've got lot, lots of spare land. Out over the sea, mainly. You know, we're probably the same places where uh, where Parker used to train from Holland. Yeah, just south over exactly that, uh, North Sea. And they, you know, they, they, they will fly, would often fly against the Belgiques, you know, in Dutch airspace. You know, again, I mean, it was good to get another operator of the F-16 and be able to integrate with them. Yeah. You know, when we did, I can't remember one of the, the, the Bosnia ones, it was, that was a joint Belgique and Dutch push. You know, so we, you know, you might have a Belgian wingman, and the next day, it's, you know, it's a Dutch one. And, it, you know, again, it was all that training that you'd done. The thing I can remember, I was like you guys, I only did Red Air on the TLPs, did it on the sort of F4, I think the F3, but it was, which was great. You know, the sort of, it didn't really matter if you got shot down. You're there to provide the threat for these boys. But you go to the brief, they've done some ground school, and then they sort of literally brief it up and go, right, this is the scenario, guys, you know, there's, don't know, let's say there's F-16, some Mirages, F-18, some Tornadoes. You know, there's just a, a mismatch of 20-odd aircraft. And it was very theatrical. Some, they then literally pick one bloke, and you never knew who it was, and it would be, and goddess, you're leading it. And it would literally be like that, wouldn't it? And this poor mate, you could see his eyes widen. It was like, oh, <laughs> Start yeah. shaking and sweating. <laughs> so and, you know, takeoffs take in about two and a half hours, best you get planning. And, uh, you know, it was... It, it, you know, that was, again, a sort of, you know, the TLP boys, the weapons boys, those would be the boys that would then lead the big missions that we were talking about for Red Flag. And, you know, it's that experience. So, hang on. When you're leading a mission like that, you're red air, you're just, you, you're basically going up there to be a threat. You're basically imposing on the other team, if you like, what what the scenario will be. Is, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, they've got to react to you, yeah. haven't they? Well, I mean, back in the day, you, you would start and the red air threat would not be as potent. So earlier sorties, you know, the missiles that the, the threat are flying are not as, you know, as sophisticated as the later sorties. And generally it would ramp up and ramp up. And, you know, at the end of it, red air, they'd have active missiles. So, you know, they, these are just potent. And so to... To evade those missiles, it's just a lot harder. But you wouldn't start with that. So everything, you know, even these exercises are stepping stones for all of it. You know, and you eventually work up the big one. And you probably want your lead to be earlier in the TLP so you don't end up with the monster at the end. But, you know, that's how the boys get the experience, you know. And it's, it's, it's really impressive to see. It sounds it. Yeah, do you ever do a red flag dunk? Yeah, in the true um workup style that we've been talking about um it was a, a huge thing where we went out actually to start the workup we go out to canada to uh, goose bay where they've got huge areas that you can do 100 foot flying in so that would be part of the, the workup would be the with deployment out to goose bay to do two weeks of 100 foot flying um and then when we went say again that was the best attachment ever yeah that was uh, it was great um and then, uh, but we went out, off on one of these uh, these uh, huge missions, and there was an eight ship of Harriers that we were we were putting through at a hundred feet. Uh, and a friend of ours, a guy called uh, Andy Melvin, who was uh, um, he was just ahead of me, so I was and the I was I think number six uh, of this eight ship, and um, 
And suddenly we heard red flag knock it off, which means that's it. Some something bad has happened. Um, and uh, our friend Andy had had a uh, a control problem. It's a thing called Q feel, which gives the the feedback on the stick. Something had happened to it, and uh, he ended up from a hundred feet. His aeroplane rolled, and he ejected. I think they said it was eighty feet that he ejected at, um, almost upside down. Um, and because he was going so fast in a Harrier, yeah, I know, but uh, that, 150 uh, knots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was very lucky that he ejected sort of into a gully. So he yeah. kind of, the, the parachute um, inflated and swung him into the, uh, into the horizontal, I guess. And he then impacted the ground. God knows how fast. And he was, he was terribly hurt, but that's not what I wanted to dwell on. The fact is, you know, we spoke about earlier these things and the uh, the contingencies for them. Well, that's part of it. You have uh, an, uh, an operation that size. I know it sounds glib, but, you know, you're bound to lose a few. And uh, in that particular case, you know, what are you going to do when you get that red flag knock it off? Because you now imagine that very carefully uh, orchestrated plan that God has talked about, the domestics of getting out and getting back in. Well, now that's absolutely blown oh, yeah. because you have people all over the area who are now potentially still short of fuel and you've now got to start for the air traffickers start feeding these guys in people are shouting that they're low on fuel they've got to go in first you've got people waiting you've got formations split to the four winds now because they may have been evading or you know uh, doing other things against other threats suddenly everyone's got to then make their way back and i remember we got back and uh, we were briefed to go to a different place when we when we landed and only two of us went there and the others went back to where they'd started because they were so sort of it was such a shock to the system that we'd lost an aircraft. And, you know, it was one of our boys and we didn't know how Andy was at the time. Uh, so it's always uh, a real uh, it's a real shock when that happens and people react in very different ways. Uh, how was uh, on, how, how was Andy? Uh, well, he's survived, luckily. So uh, and um, he, he now he's. Sorry, don't that went a bit weird, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry. Last bit again. Yeah, so he he survived, thank goodness. But he was very, very seriously ill for a long time. Um, but um, <clears throat> they got him back um, back to the UK, and he's now a captain with EasyJet. Uh, good for him. Yeah. There you go. So there'll be a good story if you hear that. Um, this is your captain speaking, and it's uh, and it's Andy. Yeah. <laughs> send a note. Send a note up and ask him yeah. about it. <laughs> but it, it's hey, funny, hey, you know. Okay. Dunk talking about that, you know, brings it all back. But it just how complicated you can see now. You know, clearly we're talking about workups, but it is the little baby steps you do because some of those missions are ridiculously complicated when you're trying to get a hundred aircraft into the same piece of sky. Um, you know, you're sending out people out front to fight the red air. People are evading threats on the ground. You know, there's sort of simulated SAMs on the ground as well. You've got to find your way to a target. Then in the target area, which isn't huge at Red Flag, you've got to deconflict each other. We had one, we were dropping live CBUs um, when I was on the F-16. And we had a knock it off, uh, well, from our little formation, because just as the lead was, was dropping, they um, just before they went off, this German tornado then flew directly through the target area, um, and these things exploded behind him. You know, literally seconds after this guy had gone through because he'd gone off track and straight into somewhere that he wouldn't, uh, he wasn't supposed to go. So you've got, uh, you know, then uh, that, that's just one tiny little event that's going on the whole time. You've got people controlling 
the red flag. So you've got the sort of voice of God, people sitting in a room. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Because you all carry pods on your airplanes that tells them exactly where you are. You're calling over the radio when you take shots against someone um, or you're getting shot at and they'll tell you, you know, Falcon 3-1, you're dead. You know, oh, and if it's, if it's, you know, if it's kill removal, that's it. That's you're, you're done. You go back either hold and then fly back to Nellis or you go back somewhere and sort of regenerate. Generally, that's it. You're done. The red air, though, they keep regenerating. So you kill them. They go back to a safe area, turn around and come back at you. So, the, I mean, the whole thing is I know there's a film out there on Red Flag, but it just doesn't do it justice as to how complicated the whole flipping thing is. Yeah. Um, let's just let's just turn back to going well working up for combat then um, obviously that's slightly different because it's a real life scenario rather than uh, than an enormous war game but how do you um, how do you get the lads to prepare for what they might for what they might have to do or do they all, or do they just already accept it I think most people already accept it you know that um one of the times that I've gone off and, and been there, we've had any sort of big Churchillian speeches of we're, we're going over the edge or, or we, you know, we're, we're going over the top or any of that sort of stuff um, because ultimately everyone's trained to do it. Like I said at the beginning, you know, a combat-ready workout means that you're, you're ready to go and do it. So You um, must have to restrain – well, either you have to get over the guys who might be nervous, but I think more likely is you're going to have to restrain the guys that are rather excited. Well, I guess there's a bit of that. It depends on the situation, doesn't it? Um, you know, for the younger guys, they'll have a mentor and, you know, talk about stuff. You're, there's just like the workups for going on red flag. The, um, you know, you'll have briefings about the rules of engagement. You'll have briefings about combat survival and rescue. You know, you'll have briefings about a whole range of different things. You'll fly... You know, these days, we're luckier with the sims that we've got, is that you can fly a bunch of missions with 
and it looks like you're flying it for real, mm. looking at the ground in the simulator. You can have people talking, pretending to be air traffic or the AWACS or, you know, talking on secure, speaking to forward air controllers on the ground. So, you know, when you actually go out and do it for real, it's exactly the same as you've practiced. So you kind of take that um, – the edge off of it of course the first time you go and do it you're nervous because you've never done it before but as soon as you get out there and back then you know it gets a little bit easier every single time yeah i, I remember talking to golf war one the boys the uh, the tornado force i hadn't you know that was really the start of things and those boys were doing you know low level at night dropping it was jp 233 the airfield yeah. thing wasn't it? where you kind yes, of had to fly essentially straight level over the airfield while this sort of monster munition fired all these, you know, itty bitty bombs and everything, you know, and, and took out, you know, bits of an airfield. And, you know, we're on there for, so we, we really didn't see any of the action at all. But the boys that came back, you know, it just, they, they were at Bruggen and we were in Fildenrath. And so, you know, sort of you meet up and chat to them. It's just over a pint. That was, you know, because they, they hadn't really done, they'd done a bit of a workup. But then suddenly, you know, I remember them just saying they could see, the airfield from about sort of 30 miles away lit up and it was, you know, some of the boys were going in, but the sort of the tracer and a few Sam's going off and then the bombs going off and, you know, you're still sort of four minutes out and running in. And it was, you know, the first time they did it, it was just like mentally scared and this adrenaline rush and, you know, got back and obviously some, you know, we lost some of the boys, etc. And then it was sort of like, you know, the next night, we've got to do it again. And it was a real, you know, I think ops in that respect have changed a bit. That was, that was definitely almost kind of a world war two S back in the day. You know? Yeah. Be, um, I, I remember those, well, I say I remember those weapons. I've never actually seen one. I've, I've, I've seen one in a book, but they were amazing, weren't they? They were sort of like, they were just like a, a very long suitcase full of tiny grenades, I guess. <laughs> exactly. How it is. Just, it looks like one of those, it's a big version of the, uh, of, um, uh, the thing you carry your golf clubs in if you go on yeah, holiday. Yeah, it is, isn't it? They yeah. had all sorts of things in there. It wasn't just one type of... No, it just wasn't hand grenades, was it? It was put it down mines, mines and, and it put down all sorts of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was runway denial and anti-personnel um, mm. weapons that it put out of the side. I mean, it was pretty <clears> effective. Yeah. Bit of kit, I think, apart from the fact you had to climb to 300 feet to let it go, and that's where all the AAA got you. Yeah. Good Oof. luck, everyone. Yeah, and, 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 and Parky, you're entirely true. You know, when I talk about our experiences, that's post-91, which was a, you know, night one or well, first couple of weeks of 91. That was a full-up shooting war, the sort of thing we hadn't seen for a long time. Um, and, you know, whilst the rest of them have all been dangerous in, the, in their own particular way, it's kind of almost um, become normalized. You know, you're very rarely the first person in someone has been doing this before and therefore you can get the top tips off of them and and you know uh, and and people get mentored in the squadron before you can tell you exactly you know what's going on or um you know the uh, the the best way of doing things so uh, you know it's probably got a bit easier mm. i think it's worth as well just thinking you know we've been harping on about you know these 100 aircraft missions and how complicated they are but it's worth then mentioning the fact that uh, you know if we do step back to World War Two, yeah. thousand bomber raids. Yeah. Holy manoli, probably with fighter escorts. You're talking way over a thousand aircraft. Think of the logistics of that. No. Yeah. It's just astounding. The lo- the logistics. They there would be there probably would be a few mid airs. There would be, you know, 
bombs from above might take out aircraft below. You know, a lot of that was, you know, as you said, done. Good luck, everybody. You know, big sky theory. You know, it's you, you've got to be unlucky to uh, to have a midair. But just the numbers of aircraft, beggars belief, extraordinary. And not only that, with relatively fresh crews too. It's not like they've done hundreds and hundreds of of, of hundred aircraft missions. These boys were going up. And you know, and for a lot of them, what they were up two, three, four, like four, four times prior, it was nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, was definitely follow the leader. And if you were the leader, you were following someone in front of you. And uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, what did they used to say that they were they were sort of reaching the target over over Germany somewhere, and they're still forming up at the back end of the raid yeah, over the yeah. wash. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the, the bombing train was that long. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? But, you know, when you you read books about uh, they're there at night, of course, they can't see anything else except for when a bomber blows up and suddenly the night sky is illuminated or um, they feel the turbulence of a bomber ahead. So they know that they are pretty close to another bomber and they have to either go up or down to try and find some clear air and hopefully stop crashing into each other. Yeah, probably not a lot of workups for that back in the day. Not really. Yeah. I think it, it, that, that was going to yeah. do it. Do you, do you remember that chat from Tony Iverson we had at, uh, I guess at Petwood, wasn't it? And he just... Ah, he, Petwood. He, we, uh, we, we need to talk about Pet, uh, Petwood later. Well, well the, the, this may... He, I mean, he, he dropped a, a, a tall boy. Uh, he, he was Spitz originally, but he just kind of just went through what it was like as sort of 20 years old just to sort of talk about... It almost sort of the theatrics you kind of meet, you know, sort of later on in the day. And it was like in a, like a theatre, you know, with a curtain. And, you know, you've got a, you know, a couple of squadrons there, hundreds of boys sitting there, you know, be, bring the room to attention, everybody would hush. And then literally the curtain would go back and there was a line on the map from, you know, their base at, you know, Scampton to, and it would be like, oh, God, it's Berlin tonight sort of thing. And, and it was that sort of a hush. And he just described sort of, just the the unsettledness of it all, and then he said, even the uh, the the wagons that they drove, the, the trucks that drove them, it's now sort of just getting night. It's sort of dusk, and they're being driven to their Lancasters or Halifaxes or Stirlings or whatever. But he was being driven to his. Bizarrely, the light in the in the uh, the lorry was green, and it made them all look a bit Halloweeny and a bit spooky. And it was just, he said, it was just horrid. You know, it was just a really unsettling. And it, well, the, it's, I don't know how true it was, but, uh, you know, uh, but, but the uh, I think it was in the Dan Busters film where they, they do exactly that. There's the theatrical reveal. And of course, then all the crews are like up in arms and, and there's the wing commander. Like, all right, you lot, calm down, calm down, <laughs> you know, calm everyone down and then go through the briefing because everyone's like, oh, bloody hell, we're off to Berlin. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, just whilst we're on um, Dan Busters on the like. Has anyone watched the remake of Das Boots? No. So I... No, you've mentioned it. I've heard it's good. It is bloody brilliant. It's not just good, it's brilliant. It, so it's, you... it's a little weird because you're rooting you for, the, the... for the wrong side, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, it JB, just shows the humanity in war, JB. Exactly, mate. JB, did you see the original? Have you seen the original? No, I'm going to watch it, though. Because that was... I mean, that shows how old I am. But, you know, I was... A teenager, uh, but I can remember watching Das Boot, you know, and it was all it was all in German, you know. With was it not on the wireless? Yeah. Or was it act? Was it a documentary? 
new thing called a television. And we <laughs> was it a chicken pate reel? Yeah, but it was, no, I mean, genuinely, though, it was brilliant in its time. It was just such a good and a you know, kind of tragic story. But you know, It is tragic, it, isn't it? I mean, the thing is, I say you're rooting for the wrong side. We're not really rooting for anything because nothing happens. And I think that's sort of the point, isn't it? It's the monotony of what they had to go through and, you know, the infighting. And it's it's just, I, I couldn't, I could not recommend it more, more highly. And also, this this one too is in German. But of course, it's German. It, German's based in La Rochelle. So you've got half it in German, some of it in French, and then other bits in English. It's remarkable acting. Yeah. Do yeah, they have big Aaron sweaters? Yeah. No, yeah. but I tell you what, um, I'll get in trouble for saying this. Uh, some, of, some of the German uniforms are superb. <laughs> <laughs> you won't have any <laughs> argument from Parky. <laughs> you like a, yeah, a, a, a knee length leather boot. Oh, it looks good. Oh. <laughs> I mean, some of their equipment, yeah, their guns were cool. Some of their aircraft were cool. Their tanks were cool. Other than that, they hadn't got much going for them. Uh, I, uh, the. the uh, the long coats I, I I did particularly like. Although, do you know, it's illegal. It is now illegal to own any of that stuff. At least it is on the continent. No. It is. It, is absolutely, it absolutely is. Parky. Go out to the, go out to the fact, shed and burn in it. Fact, well, I'm do you want to know something else? Um, if you happen to build an, air, build an Airfix model or buy one and a German aircraft, they don't supply you with a swastika. They're not allowed to. That is that is absolutely true. You're joking? No, I'm, it, it, that you, yeah, you, pe- people buy this stuff, try and recreate what we used to fly, and you, they will not send you a swastika. You've got to paint paint, paint your own on. Apparently, mine would is be, it, is it'd this... be very wonky. I was never good at that. Yeah, no, it'd be stuck on the canopy. Yeah, <laughs> with a bit of glue. <laughs> <laughs> and my finger. Oh, damn it. It, it was always, I can remember taking one of the spits out to Germany, one of the air shows there. And it was just, you could just tell, because, you know, obviously the kills in the spits, you know, we had swastikas all over that, you know, depending on what paint codes it was wearing at the time. But, yeah, you definitely saw some of the Germans slightly frowning the fact that you rocked up in a spit with sort of <laughs> six swastikas on the side. Well, right. I, 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 landed, I landed a hurricane at, at Nuremberg, and um, we we got mobbed because of people. A, you know, it's a hurricane, beautiful aeroplane there. But B, because there was a lot of taking photos of the swastikas down the side of the uh, down uh, underneath the canopy. Wow! Um, because it is, I think it is illegal out in Germany. So it it was clearly a weird thing, you know, just to see that stuff. How interesting! How interesting! Um, by the way, which of which of the current Spitz still flying has the most kills? I don't suppose you know that, do you? Oh, that's a good question. I bet someone on Twitter knows. Someone will know that. That's a good question. Well, I feel that we're fading away from our original topic. So, Goddess, have you got any questions, mate? Uh, Yeah, I have got some questions. Um, Do you remember, JB, you said that we had a couple of books, Two Might in the Clouds and um, First Light, that we were all going to sign and send them off to, uh, to someone. Well, firstly, we've got to get together to sign it, but I will get in contact with the individual who is Joe at Joe underscore S1940, um, who gets the books. Uh, he's probably got them already, but they won't have our signatures, will they? Exactly. And they're wonderful books, too. So you, you have two copies. Pence. With that extra, <laughs> extra signature on. Right, into, into some questions. So, 
Ian Savage, I do like Ian. He does always give us a question and starts it uh, starts it right off. But um, this one, all the talk of the F one seventeen still flying. Oh, yeah. Opinions on what they are doing? Brackets other than flying. Interesting. Well, Ian, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is an interesting one, Matt. Uh, I, I, apparently, it's just there for for the testing, right? Yeah, I don't. You know. Um, did you ever see the 117s when they, they did their last trip out of Holloman? Um, I think they flew into uh, Burbank, into the sort of skunk works uh, place in California. But it was uh, a boss of my old squadron who'd, uh, who'd gone back. And he, I think he was a deputy wing commander back down at Holloman. Um, he flew the one that had a Stars and Stripes painted underneath. Oh, if, yeah. if you've ever seen the picture. I've seen that. It's a really cool, it's a really cool picture, and he flew it on his last flight, which is pretty cool. Um, although they're clearly flying them again, according to people who are with large photo lenses no, around they definitely are. So, one. so here's the thing. You, sp- you, you know a guy that was flying him, yeah? Oh, yeah. No, I know loads of guys are flying him. So apparently they're not particularly good aircraft to fly. But, uh, no, because... It, I think it's probably in the book Skunk Works, but essentially, so they didn't raise alarm uh, in in terms of the fact they were building a brand new aeroplane without anyone knowing. They used bits from other aeroplanes, so it's it, it's like turning up to a Lego box and and you know making an aeroplane out from scratch. So they had a I think it was an F fifteen undercarriage, uh, you know F eighteen engines. Um, a uh, uh, you know stick from something this that and the other, and clearly the the, uh, the outside um, was uh, was was made specially um, you know so it was uh, a stealthy aeroplane. There's a really good story in the book about I think I mentioned it before about the fact that when they go out and test the radar cross section of this in the desert, they put it on a stick, do the test, and go that's rubbish, and then realise that it's the stick. <laughs> it's, uh, that is, Causing all the radar returns, and they have to go and design a stealth stick to put it on. <laughs> because the, isn't the, the first RAF mate that flew it, when he went out, it was still, you know, absolute top secret. It'll be denying that it existed. And I, I, I don't know quite how we, obviously, politics, but we got a Brit to fly it very early on. And I, I, I seem to recall, it's along the lines of, he just had to go out and essentially blag his way onto, there were no two-seaters, so the only way they did it was to fly an F-15 and fly it without the flaps for landing. It was the closest thing that they reckon they could find. And you know, he literally just sort of went to the F-15 OCU on some real dodgy premise that he was going to fly something else and blagged his way, got a trip, and then just asked, to, can we just do lots of flapless, please? And they were, what is, you know, and then disappeared. And that was his conversion. And then the next wow, thing he flew. that is a great so, story, Farky. Yeah, yeah. And and clearly because it was unacknowledged, so none of us up until when was it? Was it Gulf War One? Gulf War One, uh, yeah. yeah. So they'd, they'd been flying these things since the early eighties, um, and so the people who'd, who'd been on exchange from the sort of mid eighties onwards, on you know exactly that it was an F fifteen exchange at Nellis, but then would spend a week away, um, and then come back again. That's really I love that. Cool. It's brilliant. Um, I was going to say something else about them then, but it, oh yeah, uh, does anyone know what the calculation is for radar cross section? Oh, no, that's he's a, a spy. That's a he's bit a niche. Spy. Don't I tell him. him. <laughs> <laughs> we will yeah. be terminating this guys. podcast immediately. Well, well, don't on the QI course, so he'll now explain it to you. <laughs> is it something like? Is it? Isn't it something to the power of four? 
there's some some weird things. So it, it's exped- it gets exponentially bigger as you get closer, but you can work it out roughly something to the power of four. I'm sure it is. Well, well, I, it's I could do some things, which is all an, exponen- yeah, an ex- exponential thing. I'll tell you what, let's tweet that out, and, and there's bound to be a some sort of nuclear physicist that can tell us. Oh, I'll, find, I'll, 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 I'll get it by the end of the show. Parky, have you actually done any course at all? Uh, well, I mean, yes. Really? I mean, not like a cooking course or something. I mean, something to do with aeroplanes. Have you have you done one at all? Yeah, what, what postgraduate course? Oh, you were an IP, weren't you? Oh, yeah, I was an QPI, QPI. That was a course. Oh, you are one of the cool kids, aren't you? <laughs> hey? Oh, yeah, but I was a force lead. You know, I was. Ah. Oh, give it a rest. Knock it off. <laughs> did you Did you ever need a red flag? Better than, better than doing your little hawk QI course. <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. Uh, in fact, IRE is you, better you than the hawk yourself. It was great. Right, anyway, stop bickering. Here's a question from uh, TB at TRB789. What is your favourite special display scheme from any Air Force scene at a UK display? Um, It's normally a helicopter with some sort of tiger on the side, isn't it? Yeah, those are good. Uh, What am I saying? There's some good F-16s, some good European F-16s, actually. Yeah, they're generally... It's it's generally the uh, the Dutch that have uh, have got it as well. They've got some cool display schemes, haven't they? Yeah, I remember three two two had the display, and at the time we called that jet the lollipop. It's quite good fun to fly it, and it had sort of the Frisian flag has got lots of hearts on it, so it didn't look very warry, but it was a brilliant paint job. <laughs> Would have suited you. Yeah, 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 lovely, yeah. <laughs> I love the walk round, but it was <laughs> it was a real sort of bling in your face. They just didn't care. Brilliant. Did you did you have a painted jet when you were doing the F three display at all? I did. Yeah, we had uh, we sort of painted the sort of canopy back uh, and the sort of the spot. Was that so red, that they could see then, you when you were going away from them, running then, away? I'm ignoring that. The running then, away. <laughs> it turned into flames because Firebird was a squadron. Oh, but nice. It, Phoenix coming out of the ashes. Yeah, it was. When we ran away, it looked really scary. <laughs> what is the best? What What is the best camouflage scheme you've seen? At, you know, it, an actual useful one rather than um, Lancaster. You know. Lancaster for sure, because we we transit, so we try and transit <laughs> yeah, up true. about two or three thousand feet, and, uh, and and you just couldn't see it. Has anyone seen the Lancaster? And it's just so difficult to see looking down onto that camouflage above. There's really an, difficult. There's an amazing picture, you know, of one of the one of the Italian fighters. I can't remember what it is. The Amat was it? What, what, what whatever it's called um, in a desert, and it just it, you just can't see it. Yeah. Well, well, uh, JB, did you not like? I knew you'd like it, but that that thing I tweeted you the other day of the dazzle camouflage on the ship. Funny you mention that actually, because the other day. I, for a different WhatsApp group, I got a load of pictures of really cool aircraft camouflage just to show them, you know, some um, some examples. The Italian one came up. Did you see the RAF one that they... There's like f- five RAF jets, but actually there's six. You've got, uh, you've got to look really, really closely. Have you seen that one? Is it, a, is it an over in an urban type? Yes, um, that's the one. Landscape. I haven't seen that one. Did that tornado fly past? There was definitely one that looked like it was missing on that. 
Did we bant about that last time? Anyway, here's, here's another question from Mark Welsh, our mate Frog. Um, he said, I hope you answer my F-16 slash Battle of Britain one. So, um, you know, uh, maybe he's asking whether the F-16 flew in the Battle of Britain. Uh, no, no, Frog, didn't, it no. didn't. No. <laughs> uh, uh, I assume that is what he's talking about. Weird. If we'd had F-16s then, wow. Oh, it now. Do you think you'd have won? Do you know, that, 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 you, if there is a good question, there's times. I, I, I would, you, you could never do it, but, you know, JB, the, the sport of kings is just 1v1, uh, you know, like aircraft. It's very cool if you do dissimilar. So, you know, we banged on about it. I was in a 16 against a 15. And, you know, it's just great fun doing yeah. air to air combat. But to do it against something like a spit or a hurry, you know, in a typhoon or it would just be a nightmare to try and shoot down the Spitfire, I think. I genuinely think you'd, you'd have problems. Yeah, I know. It, 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 someone must have done this on some one of these Uber flight simulation games. Because um, we, we only flew Spitfires against each other, didn't we? Uh, we no, no, we didn't. Um, <laughs> Well, someone must have tried it. You know, you're up there in a spit. Someone else is up there in a typhoon. Why wouldn't you give it a go? Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not sure how well the radar would lock. Awkward silence. <laughs> I'm not sure how well the radar would lock. Uh, no, look, look, JB and Eagle. Next question. Um, uh, this one is uh, from Ross at uh, Ross Donovan. In fact, ex Ross Donovan. Um, Tornado, F-16, Typhoon, F-35, all on a runway. First to reach the destination 20 miles away in a straight line, which wins the air race. Only one winner. Typhoon, isn't it? Yeah, Typhoon every day of the week. Parker? Um, what, was he, what was he again? Tornado, F-16? Tornado, tornado no. Well, the, the, Harrier, the Harrier would be last. What was the uh, other one? No, it was an F-35. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's going uh, to be the Typhoon. Typhoon or F-16, which is an interesting one, but I reckon Typhoon does it because, to me, a Typhoon is like an F-16 on uber steroids. Yeah, it, just pip it, I think. What, what if you threw in a, a, a tornado there? You're only, you're only going straight and low. Yeah, but it's yeah. just acceleration to 600. The, the Typhoon would have it, Definitely. Even we talked about this before. One of the early trips in a typhoon, you do a low-level acceleration, and it is like Roger Moore in the centrifuge where he has to get his watch out and shoot the instruments to make it stop. It's <laughs> <laughs> just pinned against the back of this typhoon. But isn't, uh, isn't the tornado designed for low level? Doesn't it even have like an extra compressor the engine to make sure it does go faster at low level? How do you even know this? Yes, it, it is, but it's still got half the thrust essentially you know so it'll get there and it's very slippery and you pop the wings back you know it it's quiet and it's it's more than happy to sit at 650 knots at uh, you know all day but we're talking the speed to get there you know 20 yeah. miles away well you guys have flown it and you in particular have flown it used up half that distance anyway you know in a tornado that's that that's that sorted next one right one more all right one more um Oh, here's a good one. In fact, this is from David Wookie, our mate from uh, from Farnborough. Um, mm-hmm. Following Parkey's move to civil life, but still doing the same job 
flying same types and Lingy moving to the piston Lingy never heard of him moving yeah. to the piston singles albeit with the blades what would Dunk and Goddard like to fly when no longer in the service I know I, I know the answer to this uh, well Dunk um, well how on you first Goddard I think you would uh, quite like to fly uh, a, super, a supersonic private jet pro- probably for the company Boom that's probably where I think you you would go. Dunk, I think you would like to oh, go. I love um, JP. It would be a Cessna 152, and he'd instruct on it. <laughs> <laughs> Aerobat. <laughs> no, say, Dunk, not Aerobat. Dunk will probably just leave, we'll just probably leave it all together and go cycling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, me, I was thinking about this the other day. I when um, uh, when I saw that that Virgin Galactic had actually done that sort of low Earth orbit flight um i wondered about applying to them that'd be quite interesting that would be good very interesting <laughs> thing is though godders do you think there'd be enough full uniform dinners for you to actually enjoy it well i'd have to check that out first yeah i was ask that earlier jb i was just going to ask the question but he was rambling on so much by the time i came round to it then i, I it had lost it but does does Charlotte have to go at all? Because you're out for dinner so much. Surely she just she, she doesn't need to. We're just off out again. He, no, how are you? It's, it's, I, and I actually fill my uniform full of bread rolls at the beginning of the dinner. So w- <laughs> when I'm not out for dinner, um, we're generally sorted. It's brilliant. Goddess leads the life of like minor aristocracy in 1920. <laughs> <laughs> just minor aristocracy yeah, yeah I, know, I haven't you know. been to a dinner in a whole week I don't know what you're talking about and Mason was there with me film premieres <laughs> eating underneath a Concorde uh, it, it never stops it never it's always never the same stops. isn't it the Oscars was on last week oh yeah it was at the Oscars got invited Sheltonham. out there oh yeah. right now, hang on Mason I think you were the one when we said the what have you been doing this week and then later on in the pod we find out you went to the dark side of the moon <laughs> and back and forgot to mention it <laughs> yes that is I true I did go solo in a glider <laughs> <laughs> that's right um, and then an ME262 <laughs> I'm going back to BBMF tomorrow <gasps> what did you do? are you going flying yeah going flying the chippy who with uh, well I think with Precy and Disco tomorrow oh poor poor I know poor. <laughs> yeah they couldn't get out of it they tried their best As they know do they know that max ang- max rate of climb is actually 65 knots? <laughs> <laughs> they will. Oh, they will. A sleepless night ahead of them. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, I'm looking forward to it anyway. And there you go. So it, this ties in absolutely with Stephen Proctor, who's asked the question, if the opportunity had arisen, would any of you consider becoming an astronaut? Yes, I would. Duncan would not. He was very unimpressed. When I sent him a picture of rockets. So, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> well, I think that the simple reason for me and Dunk is we're too thick. Yeah, well, thanks for, for grouping me into uh, into that with you. But, you know, well, it's... Uh... We didn't exactly excel in our A-levels. Let's no, we a... didn't, no. <laughs> Have I no. told you how NASA managed to get two two fighter pilots into a uh, into a capsule? Have I mentioned this? I'm sure I have. So no. the problem they had is that the best aviators in the U.S. Air Force uh, as astronauts, because you know test pilots and, and the like, but nobody wanted to be the co-pilot, so they just renamed the co-pilot the captain. 
Yeah. <laughs> so that is probably a good shout. Yeah, because you actually, the whole of the rest of the rocket was not fuel to get them to the moon. It was uh, a special ego storage. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I do, I, I do quite fancy having been an astronaut. I don't, I, you know. I probably I'm I'm a bit thick as well. Uh, I doubt I'd have passed the tests, but um, you know I reckon I could have given it a go. Or any of the British. Did you hear, um, did you hear Tim? He just he, he was on like, Steve right in the afternoon. He was just talking about sort of the tests you have to do, and he just gave a few examples. So, and it was kind of like, well, now just remember that backwards. <laughs> and I was so rubbish. You know, it was just cringeable how six-year-olds would have been better than me. Is it not just pat your head and rub your tummy? No, it was horrendous memory stuff and capacity and... What? Yeah, but I don't understand this. I was saying to my boy, um, we were looking at, because it was a beautiful night, a couple of nights back, and we were looking at at the moon, and I said to him, he's 15 years old, I said, can you believe that someone went and landed on that? Look, it's amazing. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) No, that's Stanley Kubrick, Dad. But he then said, uh, he said, well, you could be an astronaut, Dad. I went, uh, go on. Space, space and cadet. And he said, uh, he said, well, you have to have been a, uh, a military pilot. Yes. Uh, you have to have had a, you have to have a degree in physics. Uh, I haven't got one of those. <laughs> no. Did he cry? <laughs> it's been a lie all of these years. But his uh, mum has told him, no, he's really yeah, clever. He's got a degree in astrophysics. He hasn't spoken to me since. <laughs> I, don't, I think he's left. I just don't really, un- I don't really understand why you need all these aptitude tests to become an astronaut. Because, like, once you lose pressure in that little capsule or something goes wrong, it doesn't really matter what you what you know in memory backwards. It just doesn't. No, I'm with you, JB. I don't know what all of the, that's all about. You know, they just get someone with a really good memory who's up there. Yeah. Well, it makes no difference. Yeah. Flipping maybe, maybe uh, uh, I don't know, maybe it's phone numbers or something. You've seen the footage of that first moon landing, you know, when he shuts down with about three seconds of spare fuel and takes it manually. It's just the coolest bit of flying you've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, it's that is pretty good. And with that whole Neil Armstrong story, his heart rate wouldn't have got above 65 during all of that either. Is that the, yeah. one, with, is that the one with the pen? Have I made that up? No, that was the, where, where they spent... You mean where they spent millions inventing the... Um... No, where... Um... Oh, I've, I'm not going to continue this because I think I've got it horribly wrong. Forget it. We've spoken about this before, though, as well. We have mentioned that there was... I was listening to a radio programme, and it was uh, talking about the heartbeat not going above 60. But... Um, and I'm sorry if uh, Tim if Tim Peake's uh, listening to this, but uh, he was saying, Astro- it's all very well, you know, being an astronaut, and it's a great stat and all that. They must be really dull. A, they can remember. <laughs> they can remember things backwards, and they're just so completely, you know... Um, uninterested in things that their heartbeat never gets above 60 and they just think calmly all the time it must be really good fun to be around yeah. oh god I mean, exactly exactly right so, although they do have cool badges i told you about time didn't you? But, um, in fact park and i were there do you remember astronaut at um goodwood yep yeah we there and yep. i said "Ooh, look at his badge it says mac 3 and then you got close, you went, oh, no, it says Mac 30. <laughs> <laughs> he, he had 
cool stories as well. Yeah, After that is a good badge. I wanted a Mac 30 badge at that point. Is that his ground speed? Uh, it, it probably is. He went so fast, he went back in time. Yeah. Uh, uh, another question? Uh, I think comprehensively did no, answer that one. I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, last, last, boring. last one. Um, oh, in fact, here we go. Clearly, we only have five listeners, but this is from Joe, who's won the books. Um, what would Parky have to do to be able to fly, a, say, a P-51 or a Thunderbolt or any other World War II type? Is there a civil exam or a set amount of hours before you can go and and um, get on type? No, just, no, you have to be a good lad, and therefore he will never do it. Yes, have to, have to know the bloke that owns it, and uh, and uh, get him to just let you fly it. But no, it's just uh, you know there'd be ground school involved, and you know the boys were chatting to Jonesy, you know, and he was like, "I'm going to fly the 109," and you know, it was just you know, so what are you going to do? Wow. He's just you know, read up the book, sat in the aircraft, had a damn good brief, and took off. You know, and essentially that was it. That's the easy bit, though, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that thing. Yeah, we found. I think the takeoff is. I think the, yeah, one. I think the one in the one hundred nine is more. The takeoff's the more difficult bit, apparently. It's a little bit of a tricky, tricky thing to keep straight. Mm. Mm. Cheeky, cheeky man, man, man of your caliber. A thunderbolt would be good though. I'd love to get one of those things. Yeah, that would be good. I, I sat in one. Did you choose one? We were at um, Goodwood. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, that, the, the one that was next to us on that particular yeah. line. What, and, and, was it flying? The spin looked yeah. like it was a sort of half-scale model beneath it. It was ridiculously big, the uh, the Thunderbolt. Enormous. Mm. You, you can see, you know, that, that chill in the clouds when James Goodson starts talking about flying that thing, you know, how much bloody punishment it could take by AAA um, and keep flying. And you can see it from the flipping size of it. It was amazing, though, but it, they still, from that from that book, though, he still didn't like it as much as the spit, did he? No. Hey, gents, did, did you enjoy my um, my statistical analysis from the Second World War of where planes got hit? Did, did you read that? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I might share that on Twitter, actually. Yeah, yeah. Put, it, put, it share on the, um, put it on the pilot episodes. So, uh, so gents, that's it. No, um, no competition this week. Um, and... Clearly, we we need to get together because we've got exciting stuff planned. We can't tell you all about it, but we've got loads of trips coming up. If I can only get Mason away from Valley and Parker away from Lincolnshire. spell We need to do it before the flying season starts as well. I've got a month. Yeah, that's a good point. Good luck. Oh, this is going <laughs> to get tricky. But we're doing some days out and they're going to be fun. Some of us have real jobs to do. Not just go to dinner. Saturday, don't have to go to dinner that your night. Your poshest uniform. <laughs> it uh, is a very posh uniform. <laughs> Although it doesn't look as posh as some. Did you notice at that dinner the other night? We don't have the gold braid. I don't have anything. Have you got a gold I'm braid? Like, you know, the big uh, gold braid around the arm. What, what, what does a gold braid signify, Goddess? Massive importance. <laughs> <laughs> impotence <laughs> that's right yeah I, I think I'm going to buy myself a gold braid now <laughs> see if you can uh, talk to the first sea lord he might get you one design a rugby shirt with a, with a gold braid 
That's not a bad idea. Right, let's wrap this up then. Uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been Pilot Episodes. You can find us uh, only on Twitter. Let's not pretend that we're going to make it on, on onto Facebook or Instagram because we're not. But if you want to engage with us, join the conversation. That is at Pilot Episodes Pod. And at some point in the future, we'll be getting a, getting together again for some further podcasts. God knows when, but we will do it because we love doing it and we love love chatting to you too. Until a time of our choosing, at some point in the undetermined future, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.